We're going to take a piece of the pie now that everybody would like to get rid of, and that's the O-debt uh, piece of the pie. If I didn't have that, I could do a lot of other things, and that's true. I really could do a lot of other things. Uh, there's a lot of different kinds of debt, and what we want to do is to take a principle-based, biblical principle-based approach. We want to uh, be able to think about debt rightly, but to begin with, we've got to understand that there are different kinds of debt. Not all debt is the same, and not all of it is evaluated the same. You know, there's credit card debt, there's uh, consumer debt, uh, there's mortgage debt, there's investment debt, there's business debt, and one of the big items that has uh, come up in the, in the recent years has been student debt. In fact, that's the largest piece of debt now uh, in our country. So we want to look at those several kinds of debt from a biblical perspective and draw some principles out of that so that we know how to think about it and how to make the right decisions relative to borrowing money. And I'd like to begin with the scriptures and look at uh, some scriptures, both what they say and what they don't say. And let's start with Proverbs 22.7. It says, it's a common one. It says this, the rich rules over the poor and the borrower is a slave to the lender. Now, that's true. Anytime that I borrow money, I am a slave to the lender. Now, it may be a good lender, it may be a friendly lender, it may be a parent lender, it could be anybody, but any time that I borrow money, I am a slave to the lender. And the reality is that the lender always has first call on my money. They're always the one, or they're never the one that's going to be late in terms of receiving money. A lot of other vendors that you have, maybe. But here's what it doesn't say in Scripture. It doesn't say it's a sin to borrow money that you're wrong to borrow money. It just says, here's a fact. When you borrow money, you're a slave to the lender. Doesn't say it's wrong to, but it just says, don't forget. And there's some principles that you can draw out of that. I always tell parents a lot of times that want to loan their adult children money. I said, be careful because you're changing the relationship to now a lender-borrower relationship, and the borrower is a slave to the lender. You've, you've changed that relationship, so be very, very careful because the principle applies regardless of the borrowing and lending uh, situation. Secondly, just across the page, uh, it says this, don't be one of those who enter agreements who put up security for loans. That's a principle. Be careful to put up security for loans. In fact, it doesn't make sense to put up security for loans. If you have no money to pay, even your bed will be taken from you. So there's a principle, and that is that I do have to repay anything that I've borrowed. Uh, that's not necessarily bad, but if I don't repay, I may end up having my bed taken out from underneath me. Again, that's a principle. It's a Proverbs. If we go to the New Testament in Luke uh, 14 and look at verse 28, there's another principle that we can pick up relative to borrowing money. And it's this, Luke 14, 28, for which of you wanting to build a tower doesn't first sit down and calculate the cost to see if he has enough to complete it. Otherwise, after he has laid the foundation and cannot finish it, all the onlookers will begin to make fun of him saying, this man started to build and wasn't able to finish. Or what king goes into a battle without counting the cost and knowing that he has enough people? Well, here's the principle. If you're going to borrow money, Make sure you understand the true cost of borrowing money. Again, it doesn't say it's wrong, but there is a cost, and don't ignore the cost 
of borrowing, and there's, there's many costs. There's an economic cost, there's a psychological cost, there's a marital cost potentially, there's a witness cost. There's many ways that debt can cost you, and we'll, we'll deal with those in a, in a second. And let's look at the last principle here, and this is found in James uh, chapter 4, verses 13 uh, through 16, and it says this, Come now, you who say, Today or tomorrow we will travel to such and such a city and spend a year there and do business and make a profit. You don't even know what tomorrow will bring, what your life will be, for you are a bit of smoke that appears for a little while, then vanishes. Instead, you should say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or do that. But as it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. And here's the principle. Don't presume upon the future, because you don't know what tomorrow will bring. You know, God is so faithful, and He teaches me the things that I in turn can share with clients. So I can't give advice, if you will, that I haven't experienced myself. Uh, and right as I started the financial planning business, I was all by myself and I had already started a CPA firm and I knew how to start a business and get it going. But uh, I, I went to the bank and I arranged for a $10,000 line of credit, which is the way you do that. You know, I've now got some cash that I uh, can use to do the things that I need to do. But God convicted me that you're going to start a business giving people financial advice and you're going to begin with debt. And he said, I don't think that's a good idea. I'm paraphrasing God. And uh, I said, I don't think that is either. So I canceled the line of credit. Now I had no idea what was going to happen. Uh, I did have a family to feed. I needed to start this business and I canceled that line of credit. So uh, it wasn't very long after that when I was with a friend of mine and he asked what I was doing. I told him about uh, what I was doing and starting this business and that I was going to do a seminar to get started so that I could begin to teach people principles and if I taught it in a seminar basis it would have more validity to it. So uh, his father was the head of training at Coca-Cola and he said, you need to tell my dad about this. So I went down and I visited with him, with, this, with his father, and told him about the uh, seminar that I was trying to develop and the principles that God was already teaching me about money and money management. And, and this person said to me, he said, would you ever consider doing something like this for Coca-Cola? He said, we have a lot of people that are retiring. They're not planning on their retirement very well. Would, would you consider doing that? And he outlined this seminar. And I said, sure, I'd be delighted. He said, well, what would you charge? <laughs> I said, well, do you mean you pay for that stuff? He said, yeah. I said, I don't have any idea. I've never done this. So he did some calculations in his head, and he said, well, spend this much time, and we'll pay you 6000 to develop it, and we want you to teach it four times, and we'll pay you $1,000 each time you teach it. Now, if I add all that up, that's $10,000. And he said, if you wouldn't mind, this was in December, we'd like to go ahead and pay you right now so that we could get it in our budget for this year as opposed to next year. And I said, okay, I'll take that. So let's look at uh, and apply really some, uh, I call them the dangers of debt. And there's economic dangers, there's spiritual dangers, and there's psychological dangers. And let's look first at the economic dangers of debt. Uh, in order to do that, we want to take a look first of all at 
what's called the eighth wonder of the world, and that is the magic of compounding. And uh, the magic of compounding says that there's three things that are working together. The amount of money that is either invested or borrowed, the interest rate that is earned or paid, and the length of time that that works. So let's say that you uh, buy a new car, uh, continue to refinance cars, and you pay $2,000 a year in interest, and the lender charges you 6% interest. So over a working life of, let's say, 40 years, you borrow, you pay an in interest, $2,000 a year, or you've paid $80,000 in interest. Now, the lender, on the other hand, if he's charged you 6%, because he has $2,000 a year, every year, coming in at 6%, he has accumulated $300,000 in earnings off of your 80,000. That's called the magic of compounding. And so the question is, do you want to be on the earning side or do you want to be on the payment side? It's cost you 80,000 out of your pocket, but what it really cost you was 300,000. That's called the opportunity cost of consumption. Or think here's another example. If I borrowed, if I uh, wanted to buy a new car when I got out of college and I paid, could pay $30,000 for it, and I, pay, and I paid cash, $30,000 for that car, and I continued to buy new cars periodically, that first $30,000 that I spent, if it grows at a rate of 6% a year, also compounds to $300,000. So that car didn't cost me $30,000. That car cost me $300,000. That's what I could have earned had I just turned around and not paid or invested it at 6% over that 40 years. It's called the opportunity cost of consumption. It's got the magic of compounding that's working either for me or against me. Let me give you a dramatic uh, illustration uh, to, to prove a point or just to make a point. Uh, I've used this illustration many, many times, and people say, well, well, you, you can't do that. But listen to the illustration. If you invested $10,000 and you left the $10,000 invested for 40 years, never put another penny in, just had the, had, had the, the $10,000, and say you had an investment guru that got you 25% a year. If they got you 25% a year at the end of the 40 years, so I did this at age 25 and when I retired at age 65, I would have $75,231,000. So at 25% compounded, $10,000 compounds to $75,231,000. That's a lot of money. I could probably retire on 75 million. But if I only got 24%, one percentage point difference, 10,000, 24%, one percentage point difference, 40 years, same time frame, it compounds to 54 million. So that one percentage point cost me, if you will, $21 million. So interest rate does make a difference. The amount makes a difference, and the time frame makes a difference. Now, I like to use this one when we're talking about giving, uh, which we've talked about earlier. What is God's rate of interest? And we know what his rate of interest is. It says in the Bible that 30-fold, 60-fold, and 100-fold. That's what returns. Well, 30-fold is not 30%. 30-fold is 3,000%, and 60-fold is 6,000%, and 100-fold is 10,000%. So what if I took that $10,000 that I was going to invest 
at 25% or I was going to spend it on a car, but I gave it. I gave, I gave it away. I gave it to something that the Lord called me to give it to. And the Lord says, I'll return 30-fold, 60-fold, or 100-fold. So I would ask the question, how much is $10,000 earning 10,000% per year compounding out for all eternity? A lot. I have no idea because I don't know how long eternity is. It's forever. Now, here's the point, that it does make a difference how you use your money. And there is a principle in Scripture that God rewards those who use this, this, the things that he's entrusted to us. If he owns it all, and I'm using it all for his glory, then it does make a difference how I use my money. So you need to understand the magic of compounding. And here's the, here's the issue, that when you borrow money, you have the bar, uh, magic of compounding working against you as opposed to for you. No matter what kind of debt it is, you have compounding working against you because the lender is the one who is getting the compounding and you are losing the compounding. It's not costing you, but it's what you lost. It's the opportunity cost of consumption. So what you want to do is, is figure out kind of what makes economic sense. And, uh, and I'll say this from an economic standpoint, that getting in debt is easy. It's really easy to borrow money. Getting out is a lot harder. And the reason that it's harder to get out is because you not only have to pay the, the principal back, but you pay the interest back. And you have to earn enough money uh, to pay back the principal and to pay back the, uh, the interest. So getting in debt's really easy. Let's just take, um, if I, if I overspend by $1,000 a year, and I do that for 10 years, I've now overspent by $10,000. And I have $10,000 of credit card debt. And by the way, the average is $15,000 of credit card debt now uh, in American households. Let's say I have $10,000 in credit card debt. And, and it's a 10% interest. Now, the reality is it's about double that. But let's use 10% because it's an easy calculation. In the 10th year, I've got 10,000 of debt and I've paid 1,000, it's cost me $1,000 worth of, of interest. If I want to repay that debt, the next year, I have to reduce my living expenses by the 1,000 that I was overspending, by the 1,000 that I am paying back, and by the 1,000 of interest. So it costs me $3,000 to repay the 1,000 that I have been overspending in that next year. So getting in debt is really easy. Getting out is really, really difficult, which is why so many people can't get out of debt is because they've gotten in and it's costing them so much more than what they ever, ever anticipated. You know, I'm old enough now to uh, remember that uh, when credit cards came into being uh, and they were considered uh, really risky uh, credit cards, you just didn't really want a credit card. Now, you, uh, college students go to college and they get offers of credit cards, and credit cards are easy, and advertising for credit cards is easy. Incidentally, let me say something just so I won't forget it. Credit cards never got anybody into a problem. Credit cards are never a problem. It's the person who holds the credit card that is the problem. That's what gets me into the trouble. So economically, debt borrowing always mortgages the future. That's the economic consequence. Spiritually, here's what happens. Whenever I borrow money, 
again, remember there are different, way, different kinds of borrowing, but any time that I borrow money, I am presuming upon the future. So the way that you avoid presuming upon the future is to have a guaranteed way to repay. If I don't have a guaranteed way to repay what the money that I borrowed, I have violated a biblical principle. And the Bible says that's really foolish. Count the cost uh, of what it's going to be. You don't do something if you, if you count the cost. And you say, it does, this doesn't make sense. So I, I always presume upon the future. And secondly, I may deny God an opportunity to work. In other words, God may want to provide in a different way than what I am, am thinking. So, and then lastly, uh, there's psychological issues. We do know this, that any time you borrow money, there is a psychological tension uh, that because of the amount of money that I owe. I, I, and there's been studies that have shown that a wife, typically, if there's a mortgage on the home, it is a high psychological stress to her because of the security that a home provides for her. Okay, is it ever right then to borrow money? Well, let's, look, let's apply some rules. First of all, the economic return must be greater than the economic cost. That only makes sense. So if I'm going to borrow money, then the economic return on that needs to be greater than the economic cost. Well, let's look. If I borrow money for credit cards at 18, 20%, What's my economic return? And the answer is zero, because we typically use credit cards for eating out or for groceries or for, for many things. If I don't pay that credit card off, then I am borrowing money and I am paying that interest. Again, credit cards never got anybody into problem. It's the person holding the credit card. There's no reason not to use a credit card, but if you do, always pay it off so that you never pay the interest. Now, in the 60s, uh, when credit cards first came out and uh, through hundreds of years, if you didn't pay your debt, there was uh, debtor's prisons, uh, but you were known as a deadbeat if you didn't pay your debt. If you pay your credit card off on a monthly basis now, 100%, you know what you're known in the banking world as? A deadbeat because you're cheating them out of the interest. You're using their money that they're counting on using. Interesting the way that this is all turned around. So the economic return must be greater than the economic cost. Well, credit card debt never makes sense economically. Consumer debt, because by definition, never makes sense economically because there's no economic return. I'm borrowing money for a psychological return and not an economic return. And it doesn't make, make sense. What about mortgage debt? Well, mortgage debt may make some sense. If I borrow money and today's interest rates are pretty low, uh, and if I put a significant down payment on the home, then, and my home appreciates in value, then potentially the economic return is greater than the economic cost. What about investment debt? Well, investment debt, again, I may borrow money and the economic return may be greater than the economic cost. Uh, in the case of business debt, the economic return may be greater than the economic cost. Uh, and student debt, I, I've been asked that question a lot of times on student debt, does it make sense to take on student debt? Well, the economic return, if I go to college and I get, uh, have the ability to earn more money, then potentially the economic return is greater than the economic cost. Now, I didn't say 
to take out a mortgage, use investment debt, uh, use student debt. I didn't say that. I just said that the economic return may be greater than the economic cost. But here's another principle. Here's another rule. Are you presuming upon the future when you take that debt out? Is there a presumption there? You know, I've looked at hundreds, if not thousands, of investments in my financial career, and I've, I've had many, many, many people come into my office. And you know what? Nobody has ever come into my office and said, let me show you a bad investment. I'd like for you to make a bad investment. What they've said, every investment is a good investment. And it's presented by credible people in a lot of cases, and in most cases by credible people who think that this is the way it's going to turn out. See, investments are never bad on the front end. They just go bad. So be careful about what your presumption is when you borrow money to, in terms of trying to earn money. Many, 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 many people have made bad investments and bad economic decisions because they presumed upon the future and they didn't even realize they were presuming upon the future. Here's another rule to follow. Am I denying God an opportunity to provide? I was on a radio program and uh, answering questions and a seminary student, potential seminary student called. And he said to me, uh, he said, I'm going to go to the mission. He said, God has called me to the mission field and I want to know what your thought is about student debt. And uh, I thought, well, well, how are you going to pay it back? And he didn't know how he was going to pay it back. And so I said, did God call you to the mission field? He said, yes. And I said, well, then maybe God will provide the resources. And I'd had that experience. Now, I'd also heard E.V. Hill speak one time about when he went to college, not knowing where the money was coming from. So I had my own experience, and I had heard E.V. Hill uh, give an illustration. So I said to this young man, I said, I'll tell you what, if you've got enough money to go to college for two weeks, go for two weeks. If you've got enough to go for a month, go for a month. If you've got enough to go for a semester, go for a semester. But allow God to provide the resources. That'll tell you how long it's going to take you to get through seminary as he provides the resources so that when you're done, you'll have no debt and you can go to the mission field. I obviously forgot about this. And several years later, I got a letter from this person and he was on the mission field. And he said, let me relate to you all of the ways that God provided money. He said, I was a dorm counselor. I waited tables. I received some scholarship money. I received gift money. People allowed me to stay in their, in their home. He said, God provided everything I needed for the time that I went through seminary. And when I finished, I had no debt and was able to go directly to the mission field. A lot of times, we take the conventional way to solve a particular problem when God wants to show us his faithfulness. Let me give you one more rule because I've seen a violation of this. In borrowing money, the spouses should always be in agreement. 100% in agreement. I believe so strongly that husbands and wives should communicate and discuss especially debt issues if they're going to borrow money. Uh, for whatever reason, God has given women more of a fear of debt than men. Men tend to be more of a risk taker, and a lot of times uh, men will get out ahead of what really makes good sense. Uh, and I had made a statement when I was teaching. I was teaching a group of professional football players who were Christians about some of the biblical principles of finance. And I said, men, you should never, ever take on any debt unless your wife is in perfect agreement with it. And I looked to the back of the room, and there was a person sitting there who had three Super Bowl rings. 
Uh, and he was a well-known football player, and his wife was sopping. And uh, after I finished, uh, she came up to me, and she said, we're getting ready to declare bankruptcy because my husband took on some debt that I did not want him to take on, and the business has failed. We've lost everything that we had accumulated in playing professional ball. Now, this was, he was not a bad person by any means. He tended to be someone who was optimistic, and he was used to winning. And, um, and in this particular case, he didn't listen to the gift that God had given him. My mentor, Dr. Howard Hendricks, always used to say, God gave you a spouse not to frustrate you, but to complete you. And a lot of times us men miss the wisdom uh, that God has given our wives. I want to finish by talking about taxes, finish this session on owing uh, taxes. Give me a lot of thoughts on, on debt uh, that you can spend some time on. Nobody likes to pay income taxes, uh, but income taxes can be calculated, and income taxes should never, ever be a surprise. And here's another principle. Don't ever let the tax tail wag the dog. I'll tell you what I mean. Just because something is deductible does not make it a good thing. And there is no such thing as a free tax deduction. Let me give you an illustration. I, I'm going to give you a, tax, a guaranteed way to reduce your taxes. Absolutely guaranteed. There will be no question the IRS will not uh, argue with you at all. Number one way is to reduce your income. That will reduce your taxes. But there's another way. The second way is if you will loan me $1,000, I promise I'll never repay you. Uh, and you get to write it off as a bad debt, and I have to record it as income as debt that was forgiven. So let's say you're in the 40% bracket. I have saved you $400 in taxes, and it's cost me $400 in taxes. So I've paid your $400. Now, who's better off? Well, obviously, I'm better off because, yes, I took the $1,000, and I paid the $400 in taxes, but I have 600 left. What I just described to you was mortgage interest, or interest of any kind, or deductions of any kind. Really, the only two deductions that make economic sense for you in terms of not costing you something, one is a charitable deduction. It costs you something out of your pocket. You do get the tax deduction. However, you get that deduction, and you get an eternal benefit out of, out of that. The other deduction that you get is when you make, when you make contributions to a retirement plan, a Roth I, or an IRA or a 401k or 403b or whatever it may be, when you reduce your income by a uh, tax-deferred or tax-delayed uh, deduction, that always makes economic sense. But, now I didn't say don't borrow for a mortgage. Yes, if I do borrow, I get the deduction. But don't kid yourself on what you're saving, and don't take on a bigger mortgage just to get a tax deduction. There are no free tax deductions, with the exception of the retirement plan. In some cases, that is a free tax deduction in the sense that you don't ever have to pay taxes on that. In some cases, I say that. Now, let me close with this. I think that when you pay your taxes, you should be on your knees saying, thank you, God. And the reason for that is that taxes are always symptomatic of income. So I never have to pay taxes unless I have income. So 
That's why I said you can reduce your income and pay less taxes, but we don't want to do that. So when I pay taxes, there's no such thing as a 100% tax bracket. There's, and when you put this in the pie chart, when you compare the amount that you're paying in taxes compared to your income, what you're going to find almost always is that it is a surprisingly low percentage compared to what you thought you were paying in taxes. Taxes are never cost you 100%. So when you pay your taxes, get on your knees and say, thank you, God. You know, I'd say this too. Thank you, God, for giving us these principles. Thank you, God, for providing for us. Thank you, God, for allowing us to live in a country that is so affluent as this one. But God, protect me from making those really foolish mistakes that your scripture warns against. And Lord, don't ever let me borrow money to satisfy my own wants and needs. Only let me borrow money if it's according to your will and I, that I'm never denying you an opportunity to work. Thank you, Father, for who you are and thank you for the provisions that you have made for all of my economic well-being.